It's good to be back. It's good to be in the pulpit. I was telling people this was the first time that I could remember in 20 years that I wasn't at least once in three weeks straight preaching. And so this was, it was hard. It was hard to, to be away. You know, I had some good dad jokes I couldn't tell. And, you know, it's really a tough, tough place. But I'm thankful, thankful that I could get some rest. And I'm thankful to the Lord for you guys. And I'm thankful to be able to be back and to, to, to be able to preach God's Word. Now, if we were to do a survey here this morning, and I was to ask you, how should we do church? I bet we would get all kinds of different answers. Some of you, maybe a lot of you, let's, let's take a little survey here, come from churches where you would have Sunday morning, Sunday school, Wednesday night, Sunday night. How many of you went to churches like that where you had a lot of different things? Yeah, I mean, we come from churches that were very busy, you know, and had all those kind of meetings. And then you had Saturday youth group and you had all kinds of things. Is that how God wants us to do church? Does, does, how about the music? Let's talk about that for a moment, you know, and people love that, you know, and do we need smoke up here? You know, when we're, we're singing songs and, and, you know what I mean, and get going and get down to Jesus, should we be our hands up in the air? I mean, what, what should we be doing when we're, we're doing music or should we not have our hands up? You know, a lot of different things that we talk about that, that people get. How many times should a pastor preach a year? You ever think about that? Man, after three weeks, I'm tempted to ask for Sundays off. I mean, really. I mean, you know, anyway. But, um, I mean, how many times have you, should, a, should a pastor preach 80% of the time, 90% of the time, 95% of the time? Um, it was interesting. I asked different pastors around the area. So how many times you're in the pulpit? You know, and I gave a certain amount of, of a number. And it says, you know, it, you'd be surprised. Some are only 75% of the time. Do you know do you know how many sermons that is a year? That's less than 40. <coughs> Think about that. Man, would I like to be in their churches. No, I'm kidding around. No. <laughs> less than 40 times a year. Um, some are the 50 to 52. For years, we would take vacations from Monday to Saturday so we could be in a poll. We didn't miss any. We didn't like to miss any. And so there's that extreme too. And so you want to say, you know, what is it? What's the good number there? What, 44 a good number? 48 a good number? You know, think about that. People have all that. Uh, you know, here's what's interesting. I, I read something that blew my mind. 46%, listen to this, of people who profess Christ and go to church believe that God will bless them financially if they have enough faith. Know what that tells you? That almost 50% of people who come to church are coming for themselves and not for God. They're looking for a blessing for themselves. They want life to work for themselves. It's all about themselves. They're not about, it's not about God. It's about what God can give them. And so they're here. Interesting when you think about that. Um, when we think of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Some people say, well, they were written to pastors, so we don't really need to pay attention. Oh, yes, we do. This is for all of us, as we're going to see here in a moment. But let me ask you a couple other questions that are going on around in churches now. Should we have a women pastor? 
Some of you shake no. Some of you are like, I'm scared to say no because my wife's next to me. <laughs> and if I say no, I may get a nice little <laughs> in there. Right? That was the nice thing. We'll tell you, Brian, uh, you didn't mention it in the second service, but we did get to sit next to each other. For the first time in our lives, sit next to each other and worship together in the church where I wasn't preaching and he wasn't leading music. That was fun. You know why? Because we can give each other elbows when we thought that the pastor said something that the other one needed. Hey, aha, I like that point, don't you? That was a good one there, huh, Brian? Did you hear that one, Brian? You know, that's good, you know. So I don't mind if you guys do that to each other. Anyway, uh, should we have women preachers? How about women elders? Um, how should we pray? Should we pray with our hands up in the air or pray with our hands down? Uh, uh, what about finding elders? What makes an elder an elder? What makes a deacon a deacon? How do you know somebody's preaching false stuff in the pulpit? Um, widows. What do we do with widows? Is the church's job to take care of every widow that comes to the church? Think about that for a moment. How about people with money? A lot of money. How do you how do you counsel somebody with a lot of money? By the way, if you have some of those friends, introduce me. But a lot of money. How do you how do you handle that? How do you handle that? Interesting, right? All these things are talked about in Timothy. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be able to handle all these things. We're going to go right through it, Lord willing, and we're going to we're going to see what God says. Remember, the church is not just a good idea; it's God's idea. And we're going to see right here. Turn with me to the First Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen. And we get the purpose of the book. And if you can, please try to. To, to think through this and memorize and go back to this because this is the purpose of the book of Timothy. This is the reason why he wrote to Timothy as we're going to see here in a moment. He says this here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Do you see it? He is writing this letter so that we would know how to do church. How God wants us to do church. Not how mommy and daddy did church. Not how the church down the block does church. How does God want us to do church? He's saying, I, I write these things so that you will know. The word know there is to perceive and to have the skills. And this is a divine obligation. Look at this. How one ought to divine obligation this is not up to opinion here this is not where somebody can say i think the pastor should preach 45 minutes how many minutes should a pastor preach Three hours. amen there we go <laughs> wow you're gonna get a free book a free dutch a free you're gonna get everything for that one thank you very much Here's how we ought, yeah, you shouldn't lie in church. Here's how we ought to conduct himself. Now, I want you to notice this verse. Look at this verse. This is very important. In the household of God. You see that? Church is a family. It's not just an institute where a guy comes up and preaches to the pupils and says goodbye to the pupils. This is not just, this is a, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It's wonderful. And we're all different. And we would never get together if it wasn't for Christ. Think about that. There are very few Italian Yankee fans here. Any? Well, none that I know of. Other than my own kids. Church would be a very lonely place if it was just like me. Praise God that we're a family. Uh, in Cedarville, they have an amazing thing that they do. They have my, 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 my son and my daughter, they're in two different dorms, but they're next to each other. And each section of the dorms have what's called brosis. B-R-O-S-I-S. Brother, sister. And it's not because they're brother and sister in the flesh. It's, it's because what they do is they put each section of the groups together. They go to chapel together. They go, Johnny and Ellie are in different sections. They eat together. They do different things together. They meet their future spouses. <laughs> not one amen. Praying that for Ellie. There goes the school bill. Amen. Right. <laughs> as soon as he meets them. She's yours. All of her is yours. And her bills and everything. No, I'm kidding. But the, the brosis, they do what they call speed dating. I've never heard of that. I, what, how do you speed date? Uh, speed dial, yeah, but speed dating, I don't, I don't understand. But they're different things. They sit together. They, they do all things. We're a family. Church is a family. It's a household of God. It's, it's not a building. It's a, it's a family of people who have professed Jesus Christ. Now watch this. He says here, it's the household of God. These are God's people, not our people. Which is, now don't miss this, the church. Ecclesia. Called out ones. The word church means we are called out to meet in a certain place and to do business for God. Somebody says, oh, I could just be part of church on my couch. No, you can't. We are called out to come together to do business for God. It is the church. It is the called out ones. Now notice, it's the church of the living God. I love that. Because when we come together with the preaching of the word and to observe the ordinances and, and the things that we do as a church, the living God is in our midst. He is working, changing, convicting, doing things that is amazing amongst his people. He says, I am writing you these things here so that if I delay, you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the family, in the family of God, which is the church, the called out ones of the living God. And he's going to give us a little bit of thing of what the church does here at the end here. It's the pillar and the support of the what? The truth. What is church about? We are here to protect and to promote God's truth. We don't fabricate it. We don't make it up. We just protect it. And we just promote it. It's already been written. Isn't that great? Yes. It's not the source of God's truth. Don't miss that. Because some churches will tell you, this is what God is, and they're their own source. No, we're not the source. The Bible is the source of God's truth. We are the protector of God's truth. We are the promoter of God's truth. I am, I am part of the 
IFCA, and you guys know that this church is IFCA, and some of you remember what IFCA means. It's very simple to remember what it means. It's Italian, funny, Christian of America. Amen? And that's who we are. Right? No, it doesn't mean that. But anyway, the IFCA in their statement of faith, what they talk about is we're here because we are grounded in the truth and we're here to advance the gospel. I'm here to tell you, that's great, praise God, but only the church was given that task. We are here to stand firm in truth, and we are here to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is those things are great if they're there to support the church, but here's what's happening. The churches aren't doing it, so they supplant the church, and they start doing it because the church is not doing the job. He says, you know what? I'm writing it to tell you how you ought to conduct yourself. It's a family. It is called out ones where God is working in their midst. And not only that, it is there to promote and to protect the truth. That's why I love the local church. That's why I praise God for churches that are doing this. Not just our church. There are churches doing this all over the world. Praise God for that. Now, how should we do church? He says, I'm writing you and telling you how to do it. How you ought to conduct yourself. You say, how should I know how to do it? Well, let's look at the introduction here. Let's go back to chapter 1 here for a moment. Look at the first couple of verses. And he'll give us a little hint as we're about to get into this book. And over the next few months and maybe a year, we'll study it and go through it and see how does God want us to do this. Now, look at verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll see how Paul begins this letter as we get into the introduction. I know people could spend a lot of time on these words, but I want us to see some things here and really understand where Paul is going. Now, some of you know that Paul's name was not Paul in the beginning. What was Paul's name? You remember? Saul, right? <laughs> I remember having fun with my mom with this one because she was a new believer and I told her, she goes, hey, tell me a little bit about Paul. And I said, go to Acts chapter 9, you'll find out a little bit. She calls me back frantic. Jeremy, there's no Paul. There's a Saul. Where is Paul? I said, mom, Paul is Saul. You know, as the New Yorker would say it. Oh, oh, Jeremy, I didn't know that. Thank you very much. You want to play around with people, you can that way, but Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Gentile name. The word means little. How about that for a name? What's your name? Little. I'm little. I'm little in God's sight. I'm little in the world's sight. He didn't think much of himself. But notice what Paul was. Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. He was one that was sent with a mission. I had a friend named Penny who was also an apostle, because she was one sent. And um, no, it, it worked better in the first service. You guys are dead here. But they liked it a little bit. It was a bit. Did you miss them? I mean, it's been three weeks. Did you miss them? Uh, uh, I couldn't wait to tell you that one. I just was so happy. And it bombed. All right, let's go on here. An apostle, watch out with this. Now, in a general sense, we're all apostles. Be careful with that. Watch out with that. We're all sent by God with a mission to proclaim His truth. All of us. 
But we're not apostles like the Bible in the stricter sense is saying. An apostle there had to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, had, had to see his ministry, and then had to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles, but later on did see the resurrected Jesus Christ and did get a, a mission from the Lord Jesus Christ that he would be a light to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness into light. Wow, what a mission. And he is saying this, I don't want you to miss this in verse 1. He's saying, I am apostle who bears the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent out by him, not a self-appointed apostle. I am a divine appointed apostle. How do we know? Because it's according to the commandment. That's a military word. That's a word that is used of a royal command that you cannot disobey. In fact, Paul says, I was not disobedient to my heavenly vision in Acts 26, 19. I obeyed. Now let me ask you this before we move on. Are you obedient to God's calling in your life? You say, what is His calling? We're here to what? To promote and protect God's truth. So are we being obedient to that? Paul was. He's saying, this has come from God Himself. This is a command from God. I was not disobedient to the command. Now watch this. It's the command from God, our Savior. I love that phrase. Because it's found in Jude, but it's also really only found in these epistles here. And if you study the Old Testament, you will notice this, that we serve a God who gets people out of their distress. He rescues them. And what he is saying is, I got this commandment from God the Rescuer. God the Savior. God the Deliverer. God who knows how to get us out of pickles and problems that we have. I serve a God who saves, who cares about souls. And he sent me on a mission. And, and I love this. Not only God our Savior, Christ Jesus who is our what? Our hope. Now, don't miss this, because we use the word hope in so many different ways, and especially during this time of the year, when the new football season is about to start, and you'll meet these Bronco fans, God help them, and they come up to you with all this hope, like they're going to have a better season than last season. And that their team is actually going to win this year because they got this and they got that and they got this. And they all point out that this and they point out that that. And it's the same thing every year. They lose. Do you know what NY stands, uh, stands for when you root for the Giants? you know what NY stands for? It stands for next year because they never win the same year. I understand that. Angel fans, God help them. <laughs> You know, they always got this hope. You know, we, we held on to Otani. We did this. We got this hope that we're going to win. And what happens? They lose six straight. They're not going to win. It's not going to happen. We talk about hope all the time. I hope to see you. I hope this happens to you. I hope that. And we lose the biblical meaning of the word. The biblical meaning of the word is we are certain. Amen. Jesus Christ is our certain hope. I am not wondering one day if I'm saved. I am saved through Jesus Christ. 
He died for my sins. He was buried and He rose again. And He is the Christ that lives in me. He is the hope of glory. We, we talk about hope in so many, and we, look, we don't learn our lesson. We think that one kind of a change is going to change things in this world. And we put our hope in that. We watch the debates. Oh, this is going to be great. Our next guy is going to be great. Watch out. We put our hope in the wrong thing. Paul says, I am, I am writing you this. I have a commandment from God, the God who saves souls, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. In the midst of a world turning away from everything, we don't lose that hope. Our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So somebody looks at you and says, how can you be so hopeful today? I am hopeful because I have Jesus in my life. And I am not hoping like some people are hoping to get to, heaven, get to heaven one day. I am certain I am going to heaven because of what Jesus has done. What a wonderful way to start out. And then he says this. Let's look at verse 2 here. This is beautiful. I'm going to write Timothy. <laughs> Who is this guy? Well, some of you know he's a timid guy. Some of you know that He's probably in his mid-30s when he receives this letter. Young 30s. Boy, to be 30s again. Amen. Yeah, eh? Remember those days when you can lose weight quick? It just doesn't happen anymore. All right? These guys in their 30s think they're happy because they can eat everything and lose weight. You wait. You'll get here. In his young 30s, he is probably an introvert. He's scared of people. People are despising his youth. He didn't have a great upbringing. Some people think, oh, but he had a wonderful mother. Yeah, he had a wonderful mother, but his father was a pagan. And the city where he lived was a pagan city. He had a lot of strikes against him. This is not somebody we would put up on the screen as a missionary candidate to start churches. This is probably a, a guy that was an introvert, scared to talk to people. People looked down on him. He had stomach problems where he had to drink a little wine. Is wine okay in the church? Well, a few months we'll talk about that. All right? Got my shot right here. I'm happy. <laughs> we'll talk about that. He had stomach problems. This is not a guy we'd put up on and say, we need to support him as a church. But you know what Timothy had for him? He loved God. He followed God. And you know what else? He followed the right people. Paul. And I want you to look at this. This is beautiful. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. The Greek word child there is the word used to distinguish between a natural child and an adopted child. This was his adopted child. Paul didn't have natural children. This is his adopted child. This is one that he loved. This is one that he cared for. This is one that he ministered alongside of. This is the one in the faith that he really, really showed emotion towards. Uh, we were coaching, when we first started coaching at Whitefield, there was a, a young kid who lost his, his, his dad at nine years old. And so we would call him the adopted extrema on the team. And we would have fun with him and, and play with him and you know do different things and and so at the end of the years, now he's in college, he, he wrote a letter, and in that letter he put 
hey, coach, I'll, I'll play you for a mod. We used to play for mod pizza. I'll play you for a mod. And then he signed it, your adopted son. Beautiful. That's what you want. You want to love them like they're your own kids. Paul loved Timothy like his own child. He says, I'm writing you my true child. I love you. You're, 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 you're my true son. In fact, why, why would he love him so much? You ever think about that? Well, well, turn with me. I want to show you in Philippians chapter 2 here for a moment. I want to show you something here. Philippians chapter 2. This is beautiful. I mean, here's this timid guy with stomach problems and people looking down at him. Paul loves him. He loves him. And he tells us why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and on, he says this, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now, before I move on, this is an interesting verse. You know why? Because he loved Timothy, but he didn't just keep Timothy for himself. He let Timothy go. By the way, that's love too. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Look at verse 20. No one else, literally in the Greek, of the same soul. He's got the same heartbeat as I do. What is that heartbeat? Who is generally concerned for your welfare. Let me tell you something. When you meet somebody in your life who really cares about your soul, that's a friend. You may have 3,000 on Facebook. But how many really care about whether or not you're right with God? Find those people. They're far and few between. Find them. They're there. He had them in Timothy. He says here, Timothy, wow. There's no one else like him. He's generally concerned for others' welfare. Look at verse 21. For all seek their own interests not those of Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? People in these days and, and back then too, we're so busy worried about ourselves that we don't have time to care for other people. God help us. He says they're worried about their own interests, not of that of, uh, of Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 22. This is beautiful. But you know of his proven worth. This is a man of character. And you know how he served with me. How? In the furtherance of the what? The gospel. What is the church about? We're here to do what? We're here to protect and to promote God's truth. He says, look what Timothy's doing. He was with me and he served with me to further the gospel. And I'll tell you how he served me. Like a what? Like a child serving with his what? His father. I do miss Johnny. Um... I was looking at pictures. Sorry, I get emotional. Whew. I was looking at pictures of him, little redhead, you know? And uh, we used to, when we had this church plant, we would, we'd go out and the three little ones, Abigail was too small at the time, they would go out with their tracks and their, 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 their information about the church. And anyone that walked by the church, they would hit them. Now, people would walk by me, but they're not going to walk by a little kid. 
And little Johnny, with his boldness, would hand him a track. Hey, you know. And the kid would, and the, the the person would receive it. And and here we are, you know, just three years old, four years old, starting a church together, father and son. It's a beautiful thing. Paul looks at Timothy. He's my son. He's the one that's further in the gospel with me. He's the one that I care about. The one that I that I love. And and notice this here. Going back to the first Timothy. He knows it's hard. It's hard. This life is hard. And he knows that Timothy is is faced with things that. That, that, that are really hard, especially when you're trying to lead others to do what is right before God. That is a hard life. And not only is it physically hard, but it's spiritually hard. And he reminds Timothy here in verse 2, look, you have everything you need to live this life. Don't miss this. Verse 2, he says this, grace, mercy, and peace. Don't miss those words. Sometimes we just read this and we just go on to the next thing. Don't miss these words. Grace is the power to live God's life. He says, Timothy, I know it's hard. I know that you're going to face things, but don't ever forget, don't ever lose sight that you have power to live what God wants you to live. Keep going. And not only that, you have Peace, we'll skip a word for a moment. Peace, and what he's talking about there is the, the knowing that we're in a right relationship with God and nothing can ever separate us from that. But there's one other thing we need that he doesn't put in other letters, but he puts in this letter. He says, you have grace, you have peace, and you have what? Mercy. You know what that is? That's God's pity on the people who are hurting. And I, I'm here to tell you, life hurts. There are things in life that really hurt. But praise God, we have his pity. And we have the help to get through it. Yes. He never leaves us alone. He never says, oh, I know this is going to be tough. Go ahead, go figure it out. He is there walking with us, helping us every moment. In fact, God is close to those who are broken hearted. He says, Timothy, I don't want you to lose sight of this. You have grace, you have mercy, and you have peace. Yeah, you have people who are saying things about you that they probably shouldn't say. Yeah, you have Satan who wants to destroy you. Yeah, that's happening too. You have stomach problems. You are timid to talk to people. Yeah, you, you have all these things, Timothy. But don't forget... You have God's power to get through it. You have God's mercy on your side. And you have peace with God that nobody can ever take away in no circumstance in this life. He says, you have this from God the Father and you have this from Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I, I don't know what you're going through today. Only God does. I don't know the pain, but I do know this. I know you have the power to get through it. You have grace. I know you have the mercy, the pity of God before you. And I know if you're saved here today, you have peace with a holy God because of Jesus Christ. 
Don't ever lose sight of that. Before we even get into how do we do church, we got to understand what kind of a God we have and where we respond to him. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. In, in the midst of, of all the things, Lord, that this world throws at us, we know that we have the power to continue on. Not our own power. Your power. Your undeserved favor. We have the pity. <laughs> you know our needs and you meet our needs. And we have the peace knowing that we are with you, Father, and have a relationship with you, not because of anything good we have done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, we come before you, you know, our broken hearts. And, Lord, we ask you to work in our lives and to help us in the midst of a world that is filled with darkness and no hope. We have hope. So help us be the church that you want us to be, the church that protects and promotes your truth. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.